And he began begging earnestly not to send them out, uh, out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. The herdsmen fled and told the city and the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them had happened, uh, had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You can have a seat. So the, the last time we were in Mark, a couple weeks ago, uh, we, we, Jared took us through the, the calming of the storm, um, which some theologians believe possibly had a demonic force behind it. Jesus, in that storm, uses a few simple words to calm the storm immediately. Right there, there was no, um, there was no waiting for the waves to come to a gentle rock. No, Mark makes it clear, and there was a great calm. So Jesus speaks, waves, wind, rain stops, like it it just stops. You and I don't have that power. I dare you to go to the ocean the next time you get to go to the ocean and sit down and let the waves start hitting you with the chest and start yelling at them. Just start yelling at them. Stop! Run! I'm bad! I'm, I'm bad in the bone! They, they won't stop. They're going to knock you over because you and I do not possess that power. Christ does. It's one reason I'm a young earth creationist, right? When Jesus speaks, things happen. <laughs> There is no waiting. They obey. But Jesus calms that outer storm that they are scared to death is going to kill them. And much like the outer storm, Jesus calms the inner storm. The, uh, the Gerasenes, as they're, as they're in the boat, and I'm sure the disciples are still like, hey man, so like the waves, like really, they just stopped. I mean, I'm sure they're still in awe of what just happened. It's only like 13 miles across at the furthest point uh, across the Sea of Galilee, okay? So they get to the land of the Gerasenes. 
Um, and I, I, I just, you know, the Gerasenes, there were a bunch of Gentiles. And I, I just, I tend to think that maybe Jesus was like, look, I, I got to I gotta get some R&R. I got to go rest. I got to pray. Uh, you know, remember when, when Peter walks on the water, it says that Jesus was going to pass them up, but he got spotted, you know. I, I just wonder, this is total conjecture, if Jesus was like, I need to go rest and pray where there's no Jews who are going to hunt me down and try to find me. So let's go. We're out here. So they, they land on this beach, right? And they look up, and they're greeted by a not-so-friendly host. I mean, this dude, he's... I mean, we've all probably had a mental picture of, of what this guy looked like. I mean, he lives among the dead. So that represents he's ceremonial unclean. He's, he's like we are spiritually, apart from Christ. He's probably yelling to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, right? I mean, this guy, in all, by all accounts, we would say is crazy. We would keep our distance from this guy. He's nasty. He's he's probably hasn't eaten in a long time. A long, I mean, a few days. Who knows? He cuts himself, so he's got scars all over him. He stinks. He's violent. He's not a weakling, because with demonic power, he's able to break chains and and so I'm sure they were thinking, you know, this isn't exactly the beach vacation we had in mind. You know, like nobody loads your kids up and says, hey, maybe we'll see a big, naked, demonic, possessed man on the beach this year, kids. That'd be great. Uh, no, nobody, you know, that's not exactly on the agenda. Um, but this man had spent who knows how long, untold years, months, decades. I don't know how old this guy was. But he had spent all of that in torment, pain, isolation, hunger, exposure, and smelling the stench of rotting corpses because he lived in the tombs. That stench was something that he was spiritually and he was definitely headed for unless Christ intervenes. Let's think about it for just, just a minute. Let's think about this man. This man was created in the image of God. We don't know who he is. We don't know his name. But we will when we see him in heaven. How many nights did he stare up at the stars and wonder how long he would suffer? How long could he endure if there is a God, why wouldn't he just either end this by either deliverance or just kill me? How many more times would he be hungry, hot, or cold? How many more rainy nights would he have to spend in the caves where dead people were rotting away? Did anyone even care? 
The townspeople were scared of him. And he had not felt love and the gentle warmth of family and friends for years. For years. How many more infections would he have to endure from his constant cutting himself? Would anyone rescue him and free him from the storm that raged inside of him? Like the seas, the storms on the Sea of Galilee. Well, enter stage right, Jesus. Yes, he would be rescued. This man represented sin and the power of sin over us. This man shows us our powerless over sin. Powerlessness over sin. Um, And only Jesus can rescue from that. Only Jesus. Romans uh, 7.24 and part of 25 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are totally and recklessly in big time trouble unless Jesus intervenes. So Jesus sees this man, right, and immediately he knows what's, what's going on. It's not Jesus' first day dealing with demon-possessed people. Um, and he commands this, this demon or demons to come out of him. The man runs to Jesus and falls at his feet, as we see. And isn't it interesting, the demons know who Jesus is. That's why he, that's why he bowed. He, Jesus is Lord of all. He's calmed the storm with his mouth. He's, he's Lord of everything. Especially the demons. So the demons, they, they start begging for mercy. Right? And they, they call Jesus by an ancient name. Son of the Most High God. The Most High God is an ancient name that more than likely, if you're a Gentile, you don't know that name. But guess who does? Legion does. Legion does. They beg for something they had never, ever, ever given this man. They beg for mercy. You think they gave that guy any mercy? They wanted to kill him. They could dish it out, but they sure couldn't take it. You ever heard that? I ever tell you that? <laughs> um, all they knew is that at some point they would be thrown into the abyss. And when they see Jesus, they're like, uh-oh, today might be the day. And so they start begging. That, that's the reason you see them. They're like, hey, we want to stay right here. We like it here. We don't want to go anywhere. But Jesus has other plans. Um, so Legion, let's talk about Legion for just a second. Um, it, it had some different, in my studies I learned that it had some different connotations in the Roman Empire at different times. But it could have been a legion 
could have been as many as 6,000 soldiers. 6,000. So one's too many, right? If you got one demon, that's I'm going I'm to shoot in the dark here and say that's one too many. But 6,000? 6,000. Now, I don't know if it was 6,000. This guy was in deep. He was a slave to Legion. I mean, who sits around and cuts themselves? The demons were intent on killing this guy slowly. They couldn't just kill him outright because they didn't have permission to do that. But the second they had a chance, they wanted to make him as miserable as they could. And they were hoping to destroy this man because they're intent on destroying everything in God's creation. That's Satan and the demon's whole purpose to disrupt, to destroy, to destroy. John 10, 10 says the thief comes not only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. First Peter 5, 8, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan and the demons are intent on dragging whoever they can into the abyss with them. And if you're a Christian, they can't drag you into the abyss with you, with them. But they'll do everything in their power to destroy your faith, to destroy your testimony, and to make you miserable. Um, anybody ever read screw tape letters? Can I get a show of hands? No, I'm kidding. Uh, screw tape letters is great. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. It's very, very helpful. Uh, just don't put it down at, at some point in the book. Just don't put it down for a few weeks and come back to it because C.S. Lewis stops telling you who's speaking. So if you don't write who's speaking and you put the book down and come back to it two or three weeks later, you're going to be lost. But it's a great, it's a great book. And so the book is about uh, Uncle Screwtape who is a, uh, he, he's kind of this, um, he's a master demon, right? Uh, he teaches other demons how to be demons. And so his, his nephew, uh, Wormwood, they're writing uh, these letters back and forth to each other about the patient. And so Wormwood is a young apprentice, and he has a patient that he's having trouble with, and Uncle Screwtape's going to come to the rescue. And so, in part of one of the letters, Uncle Screwtape says uh, to Wormwood, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights. And persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, therefore he cannot believe in you. Satan is not always like the guy on the beach. He's not always as overt 
He's very subtle. For most of us, we will never, we'll never be in a boat with Jesus and look up and go, what is that? What is, what, look at this cat. What is going on with this guy? That probably, for most of us, will not happen. However, the enemy will be subtle in our lives. It doesn't really matter how he gets a person to destruction. It's that he gets the person to destruction. So, back to the story. They, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. The, uh, the demons asked Jesus to, to go into this, this herd of swine. And it's, I don't know for you, but it was kind of surprising to me. It's not like I've ever read this before, but I remember thinking, so you just let him go into the pigs? That's kind of weird. I mean, why would he, why would he give permission to the pigs to do that? So I tend to think that it could have been that Jesus wanted a physical manifestation for this guy to see what he's just been rescued from and for the disciples that were with him. Um, if you think about the Old Testament when they crossed the river, they, they put up an Ebenezer, a rock of remembrance. This could have been an Ebenezer for this man because the second those demons leave his body, he's free. I mean, he's, he has his mind back. And so he looks and he sees what's going on around him. Uh, it could have been that Jesus wanted to make sure everybody understands that Satan and demons are intent to destroy everything in creation. All of it. Mainly you. But either way, the pigs were destroyed because uh, they run down the steep hill into the, into the sea. Remember, sin causes death and loss. There's no way around it. Where there's sin, there is death. And so that day, 2,000 pigs um, were destroyed. Now, um, as this guy, I mean, think about this. He looks up and he sees all these pigs running down this hill and they all jump in the sea. And he knows what's happening. And he's free. He's free. He can, he can see now. He can, he can... Can you imagine being oppressed by 6,000 demons? And all of a sudden, in a split second... Jesus says, yes, you can do that. And they're gone. He's free. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that man experienced this freedom. And all of a sudden, an inner storm, the inner storm is finally calm. Peace. Joy. Love fills the sky up. He can speak plainly now. He's not screaming and hollering. He's making sense. He can think. He can reason. Here's the best part. He won't hear the voices lying to him 
telling him that he is unloved, unclean, unworthy, a useless piece of human garbage that should just kill himself. No. He won't hear that anymore. Because he is now looking into the eyes of love of his deliverer. And for the first time in as long as he can remember, he knows and feels love and is whole again. He was an unclean, violent man with no hope. But check this out. Now, he is looking, speaking, and listening to hope itself. Hope's not a what, it's a who. He's looking at the face of Christ. Now, you want to talk about a salvation experience? That's got to rank up there. Right? I mean, nobody, you know, prayed with the pastor and then looked up and was like, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Good to see you. That didn't happen. But for this guy, it did. He is seeing the face of our Savior. Now, the herdsmen, uh, <laughs> you don't have to be a Greek scholar or like a uh, theologian of the caliber of, you know, John Calvin or Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, when you see that uh, the herdsman fled, you pretty much know if someone flees an area, that generally means they're running for their life. <laughs> they, they're out of there, right? I mean, if you see me fleeing, you may want to get behind me and, and it's time to go. Um, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, they see, you know, crazy Grizzly Adam that speaks to everything and runs around hollering, and all of a sudden he's in his right mind, and the pigs take off down the steep hill there. I mean, these guys were responsible. They're herdsmen, so they're responsible for 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of ham and bacon. So this isn't like $4 worth of, of food. This is quite a bit of money. So they're not only kind of wigged out by what the scene they just saw but now uh, what's our boss going to say I'll tell you what he's going to say he's going to say oh you boys are going to the ham bacon business aren't you pig rustlers I'm just kidding um, so they run into the town they're out of there now I don't know what version they told the townspeople I don't know what you know again they're probably kind of freaking out at this point they're Gentiles, so they've probably never seen someone, you know, free from 6,000 demons. Um, but, nonetheless, um, they go and they, uh, they tell everybody, and it takes them a while to, uh, to get back on the scene there. And uh, so they come. And it's amazing because when the townspeople get there and they, and they see the man in his right mind, and he's clothed, by the way, the scripture tells us, they, they hear what really happened. 
They, they talk with the disciples. They hear the man's story. And isn't it interesting, either out of fear, um, hey, you just cost us a lot of food and a lot of money. Um, you need to get in your boat, and you got to roll. you got to get out of here. You're a troublemaker uh, because they had no love for this man who was created in the image of God, who is now free, whole again. They're more worried about pigs than people. They're more worried about their wallet than people. How wicked. How wicked. And so Jesus, um, okay, no more beach vacation. We'll get back in the boat. We'll go back across. And of course the man, the the former demoniac, he, he wants to go with him. And so Jesus does something here that it's almost kind of mean. I mean, it sounds kind of mean, right? I mean, he's like, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, no, you're not going with us. Wait, what? Jesus told us, God, no. I thought we were all about discipleship. I thought, wait, I don't understand. Well, remember, there were probably a few hours before everybody got there, because you got to, you know, guys are running. They got to get back into town. They got to tell everybody, stir up some stuff, and then everybody comes out. So I truly believe that in that time frame, this guy got a crash course in gospel, who Jesus is, um, his new identity. I, I truly believe that Jesus knew what was going to happen. This guy's a Gentile. He can't go with them. He's not a Jew. Jesus hasn't ascended from his death, burial, and resurrection. Remember, Jews in the the other parables were always allowed to follow Jesus, right? Why is that? They were Jews. This is pre-death, burial, and resurrection. So this guy's a Gentile. So he's not permitted. So he wants to go with Jesus. He's not permitted And I really believe that he, he, got, he got to tell Jesus a story, if Jesus didn't know it already. I, mean, I, I don't think that they sat around talking about the weather while they're waiting on everybody to show up. I mean, man, did y'all see that storm last night on the sea? It was crazy. Appreciate the clothes. It just stopped all of a sudden. I don't know why it stopped, but it just stopped. No, that, this guy, he was enamored with his Savior. And he wanted to know as much as he could, as quickly as he could. I know I would. So, um, he tells him to go back. Jesus tells him in verse uh, 19. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. Now, Jesus tells him to go home. To his, to his town, to his people. But look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was ten Roman cities in the same region. But check this out. 
They had all the same culture, language. Uh, they're right there close together. They, had, they did have separate little governments, but they were all right there. Ten cities. He, Jesus tells him to go home, and this guy is so filled up and so free now. He doesn't just go home. He's on a mission. And so, then it says that people marveled at this man. So, this is such a crazy story. So what's, what's it all about? What's, is it just about Jesus' power over nature and demons and I mean, is it, is it like some movie we could make? I hope not. No, this, this is about Jesus going to great lengths to free all of us to be on his mission. Again, he's the ultimate reality. He sends us out to a lost world. Only sin can hold us back from that. Remember the story of Achan in the Old Testament? He takes some of the loot and he buries it in his tent. And the Israelites suffer. The whole Israelite camp suffers. So... As we think about God freeing us, our salvation, as we think about the love that we hopefully have and and possess for others, what's, what's holding you back? What's holding me back? Is there, is there sin that's Is there a storm around you? Is there a storm inside of you? Do we... Is it a sin of a lack of love, a lack of motivation? Is it um, a fear? Fear of comfort? Are we like the townspeople? We want to be comfortable? We want, we want all our ducks in a row. Jesus messes that up. But when we, when we really start to experience Christ, we really, we can't hold it in. It's got to come out. When we truly understand, Spurgeon used to say, if our sin is small, our Savior is small. And we have a great Savior. So, I want us just to take a few minutes. Um, I'm going to get the, the guys to come back up and just take a few minutes. We're going to read the prayer and then, look, we're going to go into communion. But once you've received the bread and the cup, if you want to come up and do that, and please, tithes and offerings, giving back to God.
what he's given us. If you want to take a minute, look, it may not be sin. There, there may be someone in your life that you are desperate for God to intervene. And you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know this person's heart. I don't know. But if you want to get with someone and pray, have them gospel you, you gospel them, take the time. This is not a hokey thing. This is not a, this is a brother-sister thing. This is a child of God thing. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you, you are so good. You're so good. You've gone to such great lengths to save us and to free us from sin. Storms around, storms within. You've got it. You can calm it all if we will just trust You. Give us the strength and will to trust You, Father. Give us the ability to speak, to love people, to have Your Gospel go out. I ask that You would give us people that you would win them. We want to see lives change. We want to see people love you and worship you and, and be filled with the joy that's inexpressible. You have filled our hearts with love and we thank you. We thank you for this man that had gone through such torment for years and was able to lay a groundwork for when the first missionaries came after you arose. He was one of your first missionaries to the Gentiles. And one day, we will know this man Because He knows you and is with you. And we will be as well. Safe and sound from all inner storms and outer storms. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.